Is everybody recording? I I did hit a button. Then let's start. Okay. Where are we at? Welcome back, Rue. Yes. Welcome back, Rue. Say hello so everyone knows you're actually here. Oh, I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> We thought for a moment you had retired from podcasting. You kept scheduling shows when I was out of town. You also didn't realize that we'd be even be nominated because I'm, I'm guessing that you don't listen to the show when you're not on the show. No, I only listen to the ones that I'm on. Do you have a phrase, busman's holiday? I don't know what that is. No, sorry. It's a little bit like a busman's holiday. Right. When the busman goes on a holiday, uh, the bus driver, and he has to drive the bus on holiday, you know, work when you're actually supposed to be on holiday. That's a busman's holiday. Got it. Okay, got it. But... We have also made the final slate for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Yay! Really? Which is pretty cool. Wow. So this is a final round of voting. Our show? Our show, yeah. This very show. This quality content. Amazing. I think a bunch of people have been emailed to ask to vote again, which basically means like we're through one stage, but you need to vote for us again for the final stage. I imagine it's kind of like two-factor. Like they just want to really make yep. sure. Yeah, okay. Did you mean to click that button or did you like... Did you your finger slip like they just want to confirm exactly <laughs> it would mean a lot if you could spare a few minutes and just click that verification in the email you know normally don't click links in emails and of course you know check this one out thoroughly but it's it's probably the vote so go ahead vote we would love it thank you uh let's get into a little bit of watchtower weekly which according to our listener survey is one of our most popular segments where we highlight some of the latest security news stories that have broken in the last week or so and share our thoughts on them and this week our first story comes from the bbc uh over to you matt so yeah this one's about wannabe rapper guilty of 4.5 billion dollars worth of bitcoin laundering what's that like three these days Three Bitcoin, or is it has it gone down now? How do you launder a Bitcoin? Uh, don't say we don't ever bring you the hard-hitting, highbrow stories on Watchtower Weekly. Oh yeah, a husband and wife cybercrime team have pleaded guilty to trying to launder four point five billion dollars or three point five billion dollars worth of pound Bitcoin. He had stolen in a hack in two thousand and sixteen. Heather Morgan and Ilya. Lichtenstein, I'm sure no relation to the artist, were arrested last year in New York after police traced their riches back to the crypto heist. So while evading police, Morgan masqueraded as a rapper and tech entrepreneur. You can very easily, you know, masquerade as a tech entrepreneur these days. My emails are full of them. (laughs) Uh, As part of a plea deal, Lichtenstein admitted that he was behind the hack. The couple both pleaded guilty to money laundering, but Morgan pleaded guilty to an additional count of conspiracy to defraud the United States. In spite of attempting to cover up her crimes, Morgan published dozens of expletive-filled music videos and rap songs filmed in locations around York under the name Razzle Khan. In her lyrics, she calls herself a badass moneymaker and the Crocodile of Wall Street. Okay, I'm just going to say it. That is a brilliant rapper name. (laughs) In articles published in Forbes, Morgan also claimed to be a successful tech businesswoman, calling herself an economist, serial entrepreneur, software investor, and rapper. But while developing her rapper and tech persona, she and her computer programmer husband were attempting to cash out their fortune stolen from the crypto firm Bitfinex. 
The couple now face prison sentences, with Lichtenstein in line for a maximum of 20 years in prison, and Morgan a possible 10. At the time of their arrest in February 2022, the stash of 119,000 bitcoins was worth about 4.5 billion, making it US Departments of Justice largest single financial seizure in its history. I mean, this is incredible just from the fact that it is so much money, because if you stole that from a bank, there is nowhere you could hide. I swear, like, all of the resources behind this would be behind finding you. But this is honestly the first time I'm hearing about this, and I pay attention to these kind of news stories. But, like, this is the first time I've, I've heard this. How do you get away with not being on the front page of the, the news? This person was a regular contributor to Forbes magazine as a tech entrepreneur. How do you get away with that? Clearly they didn't. <laughs> well, I don't understand. Like, if I'm Bitfinex, like, where do I, like, hey, you know, just so you know, if you had money with us, we got hit. Like, I don't remember hearing anything about we've lost $4.5 billion worth of our assets. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Bad day. So Bitfinex, uh, the company, in 2016, lost this money in a hack. And it said it lost up to $65 million. But obviously, that's worth a lot more now, potentially. I, I don't know where the like the billions comes from. But the people who had Bitcoin stored at this exchange like lost, I think, about 30-something, 40% of their assets. So like the exchange just passed on the losses. So yeah, kind of wild. But isn't this the whole thing with Bitcoin? Like, isn't that the whole point of this whole currency is that it's trackable, it's traceable, it's built upon like a permanent memory history. Like you can see the whole lifeline journey of this entire thing. Like, isn't it obvious that it's stolen money? Like it's, you know, the die pack has exploded on the cash. Isn't that the whole point of crypto? Like, isn't, am I missing something? I don't think you are. I think it is the whole point of crypto. But I think if you move it around and change it and do enough to like split it up, all that kind of stuff, then it kind of doesn't matter you know you can open accounts under different identities you can have offline accounts and all of this kind of stuff yeah all while we're doing this rue is sending links of the music <laughs> videos and music of razzle khan that we definitely cannot play on the show because no it is quite horrendous i gotta tell you though this music video is fantastic it's filmed on the streets of of new york but with tourists in the background, <laughs> like, it's just like <laughs> they couldn't find a clear spot to film. So it's just like, well, we'll just have regular people back there. And it looks just incredible. It's it's as good as you could possibly imagine it to be. The lyrics, from what I can tell, are a confession of her crimes in and of themselves. So I don't know if this was played in court <laughs> or not. But she's pretty much talking about everything that they did. So it's great. It's It's real good. I'm busy thinking about why on earth you'd call yourself Grandmother Crocodile. Like... That does not permeate hip-hop culture and the image that you want to go for. I mean, I wake up some days feeling like a grandmother crocodile, but, like, I don't know if that's the kind of energy you want to bring into the world as a successful rapper. If you want to be a baller, just steal some Bitcoin. You can defraud some companies <laughs> real easy. Yeah, see, all the lyrics are right here. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next one. Zoom says its new AI tools are not stealing the ownership of your content. So this one's from The Verge. Zoom doesn't train its official artificial intelligence models on audio, video, or text from the app. 
without customer consent. So according to a recent blog post from Zoom's chief product officer, she describes that our customers continue to own and control their content. The company's handling of customer data for AI training has come under scrutiny after a Stack Diary article reported in March changes the company's terms of service that appeared to give the company's broad control over user data for AI work. The scary truth about AI copyright is that no one knows what will really happen next. And reported EU legislation to disclose AI training data could trigger copyright lawsuits. They describe our intention was to make clear that customers create and own their own video, audio, and chat content. We have permission to use this customer content to provide value-added services based on this content, but our customers continue to own and control it. And 10.2 says that customers consent to Zoom's access, use, collection, creation, modification, distribution, processing, sharing, maintenance, and storage of services-generated data for any purpose, including machine learning or artificial intelligence, including for the purposes of training and tuning algorithms and models. 10.4 even says that customers agree and grant Zoom and a perpetual worldwide non-exclusive, royalty-free, sub-licensable and transferable license to their data for things like product and service development, machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm not going to, you know, read through all of it, but Zoom, like many companies, has been marketing new AI-powered features of late, including a tool to help people catch up on meetings that they've missed, and one that helps people compose messages in its Slack-like team chat app thing. They say that account owners and administrators can choose if they want to turn on the features, which are still available on a trial basis, and that people who turn them on will be presented with a transparent consent process for training our AI models using your customer content. Zoom isn't the only company making AI-related terms of service changes, and that some have caught attention. Google recently updated its privacy policy to note that its AI-powered tools like Google Translate and Google Bard might be trained using data scraped from public sources on the internet a lot to take in how much do we think this is like the normal flow of things now like this is just how the internet works now to a certain extent i'm almost there i'm not ringing alarm bells on this one because there are so many alarm bells everywhere that i think this is just the way that the internet is going yeah i agree are they training it on this podcast right now they better be (laughs) (laughs) they better be that's a great response yeah you know I'm fully aware that when I take photos and share them on the internet and all that kind of stuff, that probably even manually someone could be feeding them to AI. That's true, yeah. I don't think much will stop the the AI beast at this point. I think it's just hard, though. Like, when you're paying for a service, I just want to know what you're doing with my stuff. And I think that's the expectation I'd like to get to with providers, where it's like, mm. I'm cool, you know, like, you know, everybody knows Facebook is using your for everything right like you know it's an ad machine it's not you know it's not actually a way to catch up with your high school buddies but like at least you know that it is what it is so especially when it comes to these paid services like we don't use zoom at work for free so if i'm paying you for a service i want to know what's in it and i think that's where i appreciate the people that want to take the time to say okay we're kind of changing what we're doing this is why we're doing it this is how we're doing it if you have questions please ask it's unusual to do that. And so when you say stuff like that, it's met with like huge amounts of skepticism because people are like, well, if you're telling us you're doing this, what are you doing that you're not telling us? And I think that's the hard part 
where it's, you know, if we could just get to a corporate standard of transparency where it's, hey, we do some cool stuff out here and, you know, we want to make it better for everyone and this is how we're going to do that. I think people would just be more used to understanding these things as opposed to feeling blindsided where it's six months later and it's, oh, by the way, did you know we were doing this? No? Well, that's okay. It was in the EULA. You didn't read it. We know you didn't, but we put it in there. So you're covered. It's fine. Never mind. Go away. That's an amazing point. I completely agree. I think it is a complete difference between services that you know why they are using the information and you know how they are using the information because they are ad-driven. So, like, it's an assumption that you make of, like, well, they're definitely selling it because how else are they making money? To the paid services where you're just like, well, I guess they're maybe skimming a bit on top, selling it to the same places, but, but really, like, they shouldn't be. I feel like if you pay for a service, like how many people at 1Password now? Have we hit 1,000? Oh, yeah. Well, I, th- I think we hit 1,000. We have, indeed. My goodness, our Zoom bill must be awful. <laughs> it must be massive. Like it must be new car every month material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's not cheap, but, <laughs> but it, it is a matter of, for me again, if it's a paid service and this is what I'm paying for, I have an expectation of certain things. And I think that's... It's certainly been how we've done things at 1Password over the years, where it's free logins. You've got 20 free. When you get to 21, you know you need to buy the extra $1.99 expansion pack to add more logins. Like, that's not how we do it. Our our model is based on, you know, someone's going to use this product and this is the person. We're working with the person. We're not working with the person's data. And so being forthright and saying, you know, okay, this is what we're doing and all of that. And that's where it, again, it gets hard because, you know, you want to be open and honest about what you're doing. And so you do that. And then people are so used to people not doing that now. It's very hard. Doing things outside the norm is hard because it's not expected, but we should expect people to do things in the the upfront, honest, kind way. Like that would be the ideal way to do everything. And then people wouldn't have to feel so suspicious about every time a new EULA pops up and it's like, well, I guess I'm clicking I agree again. Oh, no. Yeah, I think so as well. Okay, this next one. Scammers are using the Barbie craze to steal personal information. This one from the hill of all places. The buzz around Barbie is seemingly everywhere, but experts say scammers are also enjoying the blockbuster's popularity. Cyber criminals are always on the way to look out for opportunities to make phishing and other scams more attractive and believable. And that was some Steve Groben from McAfee. They often leverage popular and well-publicized events such as movie premieres, concerts or sporting events to try and trick users into clicking on malicious links. McAfee has detected dozens of malware files with Barbie-related names this month. Some phishing attempts are disguised as Barbie-related video that contain a link to directing potential victims to a Discord or another website. There, they are promised fake tickets or otherwise convinced to download a file that turns out to be malware. In some cases, McAfee says that the malware is a red-line stealer that effectively passes all login and other personal information found on the device to the hacker. In India, McAfee identified another scam where bad actors were using fake sites advertising a full download of the movie in different languages. The download, however, is a zip file full of malware. Classic. Suzanne Spaulding, a former cybersecurity official with Homeland Security, told USA Today that such scams are inevitable when something becomes as wildly popular as Barbie. Spaulding compared it to the scams, she says, often occur after a disaster when people are motivated to give money out of compassion for the victims. That last one is so much worse than the Barbie exploitation, I think. 
They do whatever's effective. I find these articles come around fairly regularly every time that there is something that is wildly popular. I think this is a classic example of, like, just going where the search terms are. This is not surprising at all, especially given the buzz. Carrie's taking Sophia to go see the movie this afternoon. Like, it's everywhere. It goes back to the same, you know, if it's too good to be true, it is. Like, you're not going to get Margot Robbie doing something, click here to see it. And it's like, it's not going to be a thing. If it's going to be a thing, you're going to just see it in your regular news feed on Facebook because all that just gets in there anyways. It's not going to be something you have to go out and click things on. It's not going to be a win a contest to walk the red carpet. There is no contest. They're just trying to steal your stuff. Stop clicking links. Please. <laughs> Please. Please. <laughs> All right. This next one. Spyware maker Let Me Spy shuts down after hacker deletes server data. So Poland-based spyware Let Me Spy is no longer in operation and said that it will shut down after a June data breach wiped its servers, including a huge trove of data stolen from thousands of victims' phones. In a notice on its website in both English and Polish, Let Me Spy confirmed the permanent shutdown of the spyware service and said that it would cease operations by the end of August. The notice said Let Me Spy is blocking users from logging in or signing up with new accounts. Let Me Spy is bad, right? Like, this is a this is a shutdown of a bad thing. Yes. 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 Correct, yes. This is good news. This is always a weird thing that we cover. This is good news, yes, correct. We're ending with good news. I'm surprised they would put a notice out, though, right? Like, I've developed an app that's going to sit on your phone. It's going to purposely stay hidden on your phone that I've installed it on in secret. I'm purposely recording stuff to use and later blackmail you and all this kind of stuff. And then my company that does this is hacked and why would you tell anyone i don't understand <laughs> why wouldn't you just be like well stole your money sorry gotta go bye this is a classic example of who hurt you as well you know <laughs> let me spy obviously annoyed someone and then that person basically was just like well you spied on me and i'm not having you have any of my data so there we go so the breach consisted of unauthorized access to the Let Me Spy website's database, downloading it at the same time as deleting the data from the website by the author of the attack. That's what the notice says. Let Me Spy was an Android phone monitoring that was purposely designed to stay hidden on a victim's phone, hidden from the victim's home screen, making the app difficult to detect and remove. When planted on a person's phone, often by someone with knowledge of their phone passcode, apps like Let Me Spy continually steal that person's messages, call logs, and real-time location data. So this is one of those horrible apps. Yeah, I mean, good riddance. The copy of the database was obtained by non-profit transparency collective DDoS Secrets. DDoS Secrets. I mean, that, that sounds like a spyware maker itself it does yeah that's a bad name if you're if you're working for good if you're trying to be legit yeah indexes leaked data sets in the public interest the data showed that let me spy until recently had been used to steal data from more than thirteen thousand compromised android devices worldwide though let me spy's website claimed prior to the breach that controlled more than two hundred and thirty six thousand devices so there you go gross good riddance <laughs> yep fantastic i love it all right well now that we've wrapped up Watchtower Weekly, I think we can get into my chat with Vlad Boldura. Vlad is the security manager at Visma, which actually delivers a ton of business software worldwide. Visma is also an enterprise user of 1Password, and Vlad had such a great story on the impact 1Password has made on the business and some of the fun Watchtower gamification and internal contests he ran company-wide. It's always great to hear firsthand from our customers about the things that they love about 1Password, so I, I hope you enjoy the chat. Let's go ahead, Anna, and drop it in here. 
Stopping by for this week at 1Password is Vlad Boldura. Vlad is security manager at Visma. As a 1Password enterprise customer, Vlad is here today to dive into how Visma got started with 1Password, rolling it out across the business and the incredible impact it's made. Along with us today is Daytona Early. Daytona is a senior customer success manager at 1Password and is joining Vlad to talk us through the onboarding process and how we supported Visma with their 1Password journey. Thanks for joining us today, both of you. How's everything going? Thank you. Very, thanks a lot for, for having me and for the invitation. Everything is good here in Eastern Europe in, uh, in Romania. I'm actively trying to survive a heat wave and the vacation period around my company. Very nice. Daytona, how are you doing today? Doing well, thanks, Rue. No heat wave here in the UK. We've had a bit of rain. Otherwise, all is good. Thank you. And thanks for having me too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So Vlad, can you introduce us to you and, and tell us a little bit about Visma? Sure. I'm a security manager in Visma's global security awareness and training team. I've been working in cybersecurity for roughly eight years now. Visma has offered me the chance to move to the people part of security. So I've done the whole, you know, vulnerability management, application security, and governance, risk, and compliance part of security so far. And right now in Visma, I'm I'm working on more the people and employee part of security, which I, I've grown to know and love. Visma is one of the top five software companies in Europe. A very nice message that we shape the future of society through technology. We build mission-critical software, so accounting or schools or government software or things like that, Visma probably does have a team working on a product that a lot of people use. So we do work both for the private and the public sector and employ roughly 6,000 developers across, I think, almost 300 locations in the Europe and recently Latin America as well. Now, one of the things that's really unique, I think, for us is that we love to buy companies that have awesome products and applications. We have bought 48 in 2022 and are already up 18 new companies for this year. That's massive. That is 6,000 developers across 300 different which is different locations and then tons of acquisitions on top of that. That's enormous. All right. Well, Daytona, let's, let's toss it over to you. So what is your role as customer success manager and, and how did your relationship with Visma begin? Sure. So as a customer success manager, we're here to ensure that the customer, in this case, Visma, is getting the most from their investment or achieving their value milestones aligned with their strategic priorities. I think in terms of how we've supported them since they deployed one password, connecting Visma with the right people. So for instance, connecting Vlad and the team with our product team so that we have a rich understanding of features that would benefit. And in terms of keeping Visma on track to achieve those value milestones mentioned, any new support required from any individuals or teams or departments or units introduced to 1Password. We've also partnered on security initiatives, so things like presenting to raise awareness, not necessarily just about 1Password, but password management as a whole. So uh, we've had some of our folks present to Bisma employees on topics around password management, password hygiene, things like that. And we keep up to date to help with customers achieving their goals. I can't take credit for this analogy, but, you know, you can kind of think of us as like a PT where we're getting customers to move the needle towards the goals they want to achieve. Very nice. But ultimately, the customer's got to put in a little bit of homework themselves to get there. Absolutely. Nice. Having just gone through PT myself, that analogy hits hard. So good job. <laughs> Vlad, I was wondering if, why don't we start off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the importance of cybersecurity and credential security at Visma. Sure. I really can't stress it enough. Since we do build mission-critical mission systems, 
security is, is built in the heart of these products because you, you can imagine how important it is for data to be secure in the public sector like schools, like in the defense sector, in public transportation, in accounting, in pretty much every area that handles personal sensitive information. So whatever applications we build, we, we need to make sure we build them securely and correctly. Security really is at the heart of what we've done and we continue to do. How did you manage password security prior to 1Password? And what were some of the pain points with, with how you were doing it before? We did not specifically manage it. We, of course, had a password policy and all the, the standard stuff that you would expect in an enter enterprise customer, but we really didn't have a centralized solution for password management in general. The biggest pain point was the lack of visibility, actually. So if you don't have a solution like 1Password or like a different password manager, of course, deployed in your enterprise, you have no idea about the level of the problem that you have with passwords. You have no idea how many passwords are being reused, how your employees are actually sharing credentials between them, if they're sharing them insecurely through text messages, if they're having post-its on their monitors with admin passwords and, and whatnot. You have no idea about these things. We didn't know the overall level of implementation of our corporate password policy, which we can now mandate, of course. And Credential sharing and secret sharing for our technical teams, so the 6,000 developers and our DevOps teams and our IT teams, was cumbersome to say the least. We found out that our average engineer had around 150 to 200 logins that they had to use every single week, and sharing them between teams was really complicated. Yeah, it is no surprise to hear you say that. And also, like as you were talking, I've obviously lived in this world for so long, and I was like, God, like how would I even do it. And this isn't meant to be like, you know, of course, the one password guy is saying, how would I live without one password? But like, genuinely, like that's especially with teams of that size, that's a huge burden to put on each individual to keep something safe and secure and, and private and everything else. So that's, I can imagine that being incredibly difficult. So obviously, like you shopped around, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't just go to onepassword.com and be like, yep, nailed it and just hit buy now. Like I'm assuming that there was some shopping that happened. What was it? that made you choose 1Password in the end? A bunch of things. We eventually chose 1Password for, I think, four different reasons. One was the varying level of features that we saw in 1Password. It's a tool that can help the most advanced developer we have in the company and solve his problems down to the least technical person you can find among 18,000 Visma employees. That was really important to us. The ease of use post-setup was another important thing. We did find a lot of different password managers that were maybe easier to set up, but not easy to use day in and day out. And we wanted a solution that even if the initial setup is more complicated, it works day in and day out with as little problems as possible for everybody in the company. We were really adamant about the security of the tool and we analyzed a bunch of security white papers. And I think we made a very good choice with 1Password in that regard. So even two years later, the inbuilt security of your password manager still stands. When we see breaches around the industry, 1Password had none. And of course, we appreciated the good support structure and client focus that we, we saw during the discussion. So the customer success management tool that you had was really up to speed. And we realized that we might need help. And there were people there for us. Nice. Oh, that's great. So, Vlad, like, what benefits has your team seen, both like IT and everyday teams, and do you think it's had a wider impact? A lot wider than even I expected. As the service owner of kind of bringing this thing into Visma, a couple of these benefits I surely expected, but a couple of them I didn't. 
and they were really pleasant surprises. So the ones that I've expected, of course, is fewer worries about bad passwords. So we see very easily from the security insights function, if we have passwords that have been found in data breaches, if we have reused passwords in our share vaults, and so on and so forth. So as a hygiene experiment day to day, that's really beneficial for our security posture, of course. We have more visibility into our overall password security. So we have an idea about what's happening, even if it's good or bad, we at least know where to put our finger and our efforts to improve it, which is always great in security. And we have more information about companies and their level of security maturity, which is extremely important when you're buying tens of companies every year. Even beginning a conversation with a security team from a new company about how they can use a password manager and one password particularly, in this case, brings a lot of good value for us. One of the things that I really didn't expect as a benefit of deploying one password was us better understanding our own company and environment. Trying to deploy a relatively user-friendly tool to everybody in the company Regardless of where they work, what their level of technical knowledge is, if they were ever involved in using security tools or not, and practically trying to get everybody to use this tool has really opened some eyes in the company, especially because we never mandated its use. We tried to convince people about the value of using a password manager. And that has really given us some key insights about what we can do with other security services that are aimed towards our own employees as well. So that's really fascinating to me that you didn't mandate the use of 1Password. So Daytona, there's obviously a reason that you you wanted us to talk to, to Vlad today and to bring Visma on board as sort of a, a case for us to discuss on the show. Like, What was it about Visma that made it unique and sort of had you bring them to our doorstep in this way? Yeah. So I think Vlad's just summarized a lot about what makes Bisma unique. I think the approach of not mandating, but positioning the value of one password. So it encourages employees to sign up and their sign up flow itself is unique in, in terms of essentially ordering and then getting access to one password. And I think they've done a fantastic job of ensuring that those processes are tried and tested to make it as easy as possible for the employees and users of one password. And I think, Rui, you mentioned earlier about PT and putting the work in from the customer side. And I would definitely say that Bisma do put the work in and they are a very innovative organization, which always looks for ways to improve. You can certainly see that in the conversations that we have and trying different things to see if they work. With Bisma being a technology company themselves, they're willing to partner with us on initiatives as they understand how research and troubleshooting, as an example, was pivotal to improvements. So we greatly appreciate our partnership too. Nice. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So is there a 1Password feature that you think it's either your favorite or you think adds the most value to Visma as a business? So my personal favorite is the Watchtower feature because it's a unique way of improving your personal security while also feeling like you're playing a game like getting the highest score <laughs> possible. We even had a contest around this in Visma last year during European Cybersecurity Month, where I basically gave out swag to the people inside the company that could share the highest Watchtower score with me. And I was extremely thrilled to have like six emails from the same person <laughs> giving 
one higher score after the other telling me, hey, you know, I found two more weak passwords. I just changed them and I upped my Watchtower score by two points. Can you put this new score in the contest? And <laughs> it's really, really great, I think. And it was also great on a personal level because now I'm a, I'm a one password user in my house as well. And it really opened my eyes and my wife's eyes to all the bad passwords that we had because you realize that we have accounts that are 20 years old now. And we had no idea that we still had them or that we had such bad password hygiene. So I think that's my personal favorite, both for the business and for personal use. But the close second in business is the shared vault function. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Shortly after we rolled out the security score in Watchtower, I remember very vividly our washer and dryer had broken down. And so I was at the local laundromat doing laundry. And I was just sitting there waiting for the laundry done. I pulled my phone out of my pocket and I was like, I'm going to go see if I can improve my score a little bit. I just sat there for 20 minutes just being like, all right, next password. Okay. And it, and it was awesome because I did it all on my phone. Like I didn't have to be in front of my computer. Yeah. It's it's oddly addictive once you once you get into that loop of like, I think I can go better. I think I can do better than this. So that's awesome. All right. If there was one reason to recommend one password to a business. You had to just give one. Like you're in an elevator and you're like, oh, this person clearly needs one password. Like what would what would be the thing that you would tell this person? It's the best mix out there between easy to use and secure. And it's a hard mix to figure out. The mix between ease of use and security is never easy. Usually the more security you have, the more cumbersome it is to use that particular tool. I think we we all know that. And the industry knows it for 20 years at least. So having a password manager that involves state-of-the-art security on one hand, and it's also easy to use on whatever platform you choose to do it, from your browser, from your workstation, from your phone, whatever, I think it's a mix that really you can really find a better one right now on the market. Yeah, that's a good answer. I like that one. All right, let's let's bring it home here. Uh, Vlad, where can people go to follow you or to find out more about Visma? Obviously, Visma.com. So we have a lot of information on Visma.com about who we are and what we're doing. We recently launched our new trust center. So anybody that wants to see all the cool things that Visma does around security, the information is out there and public. We're really active on social media. So you can follow both myself and Visma on LinkedIn, but also on Instagram and Facebook. We regularly post business stuff and security stuff, as well as other great campaigns we're part of. So that's mostly where you can find us. Very, very cool. And then Daytona, why don't we take a minute, since this is our show, we can do what we like. Why don't we plug a little bit of 1Password Business or Teams here? Where can people go to find out more about us and what we do? Yeah, it's totally. So 1Password.com, you can sign up there and learn lots, access lots of materials, whether you're a 1Password customer or not. But if you want to get in touch with customer success, if you're already a customer, then just reach out to your CSM or account manager or anyone at 1Password and they'll pick in the right direction. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for making the time today. This was a lot of fun and have a good day. You too. Have a great day. So is it time to learn about this new segment? (laughs) I think it's time to learn about this new segment. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Did You Know? A brand new segment to debut on the show today. We got lots of feedback during the listener survey that folks would like more actionable tips, whether that's one password tips or security tips in general. So we have created a brand new segment called Did You Know? Uh, And in this new part of the show, we'll aim to share something random that we learned just in the last two weeks or something that's worth notable uh, to share. This could be anything from a quick one password or security tip, a shout out to a new one password 
feature or update, or maybe even a memorable fun fact or book, TV, app recommendation thrown in there for good measure. So this week, it's my turn to share something first. And did you know that... 1Password actually keeps a history of generated passwords. So if you accidentally don't update your item when saving, you can still get the password without resetting your account. Another thing that gets forgotten quite a bit is that 1Password also keeps a history of deleted passwords. So if you change your mind, you can still get all that info as well. Okay, my did you know this week is not to do about 1Password, but instead I want to tell you how much I love Obsidian. Do either of you use the note-taking app Obsidian? No. No. Ah, oh, I love it. Right, first of all, you can customize all the CSS of the interface, right? Nerd point one. <laughs> Second of all, it has a wealth of plugins. So it's all markdown document run. And then I can install a plugin and it turns into a Kanban board for my to-dos. Or I get it to create and automate a template of the day. So, you know, every day I have a note that is part journal and part what I need to do that day. And it automatically creates it in my templates. It is end-to-end encrypted. And just generally, I can take screenshots, drop it in there. I can store quotes. I can do anything. I've actually installed on my personal device, not my work device, a plugin that has chat GTP in it. And so like it can help me write bullet point lists as emails and actually do them nicely and all that kind of stuff. So that is my recommend, did you know, of the day. Obsidian. I'm loving it. Very nice. It's also, it's free and you can upgrade if you like to the either sync or publishing services. Does it automatically sync to their service and make your notes freely available on the web without you knowing it? It does not. No. Okay. Have you read the EULA? <laughs> it's end-to-end encrypted, so they can't get my material, let alone whether they want to or not. That's very nice. Yeah. But I do remember the conversation that we had to have, Rue, around a certain note-taking app where you realized, hang on a sec, this is actually just stored in plain text behind a password. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't make that obvious in, in, in your defense. No. No. I created an account to download the app. And I used it for a while, like at least a year. And I was telling Matt, like, God, I love this note-taking app. He's like, yeah, that's great. Did you know that all your notes are just on the web? I went, no, they're local. He goes, no, sign into your account on the web. And all my notes were there. And I was like, I don't feel so good about this. And so I stopped using that and I switched to Apple Notes. And I haven't looked back since. Well, you might want to look at Obsidian because it's much better. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not a note-taking app nerd. Like, I have something that works for me, and, and it's every, it's on every device I need it to be, so I just I just use that. But I, I love that you love it, and that's that's what's important. <laughs> okay, so if you remember last last week, last week? We record these every two weeks, don't we? Every last two, two weeks ago. A fortnight ago. Last episode. Last episode. In a world where hacker group names are either genius or utterly awful, we tried to guess if the hacker names were real or fake. And the scores from last round were three all. So it was all to play for. And now I'm in charge of the game. So, I mean, first step is to play Rue, the new hacker, no hacker jingle. Okay. And of course, Rue hasn't heard it yet because he didn't listen to the show. He wasn't on it. Because Rue hasn't heard it yet. So here we go. This is the hacker, no hacker jingle. Hacker, no hacker, is it real or fake? Ba-doom, doom, doom. Hacker, no hacker, real or a mistake? Wait, is that a real thing that we actually in- include on the show? Yeah. 
and it's something real that we commissioned as well. Wow. Now, amazing. What was your thoughts about the last sentence there? What did you what did you come away with that they said? Uh, hacker no hacker, is it real or is it fake? Hacker no hacker real or a mistake ah yes you got the real one but actually it sounds like real or rum is steak <laughs> <laughs> um, or namaste or namaste yeah that was the uh, real or namaste yeah yes. that was the other one. okay so okay first question before you do this is this you making up the names or is this anna making up the names because that goes into my algorithm <laughs> okay this is anna making up the names <laughs> okay I love Sarah's algorithms. <laughs> this is very hard, Rue. I will warn you. This this was not an easy game. Right, okay. So, the first one, Hacker No Hacker. Here we go. Honker Union. <laughs> that has got to be real. No, that's a that's a fake. That's a fake hacker group name. It is real. Honker Get. or Red Hacker is known for hacktivism mainly present in China. Literally the name means red guest. And compared to the usual Chinese translation of hacker, literally black guest, as in black hat, the word honker emerged May 1999 when the United States bombed a Chinese embassy. And since then, honkers formed Honker Union, whose members combined hacking skills with nationalism and launched a series of attacks on websites in the United States, mostly government related sites. So there we go. Oh, my goodness. I legit am thinking about some sort of car group that's like trying to pirate, you know, and take over cars and auto steal them because, you know, they're like honkers, like <laughs> driving a car. <laughs> now I'm like, that's my algorithm was wrong, but I got it right. <laughs> yeah. Right. OK. This next one. Gin Mayhem. J-I-N Mayhem. What are we thinking towards this? That's that's real. Oh, I got to go fake. It is fake. God damn it. Rue, what are you doing? I hate this game. I hate this game already. Okay. I'm feeling redeemed because this was not so good last week. I mean, we drew last week. Let's, you know. It, this is hard, though. It is. It is. All right. This next one. Chaos Computer Club. Definitely real. Oh, see, I'm going to go fake because it sounds too much like, you know, the Breakfast Club or something. It is real. Oh. The Chaos Computer Club, the CCC, is the Europe's largest association of hackers with 7,700 members. Founded in 1981 in various cities in Germany and surrounding countries. The CCC describes itself as a galactic community of life forms, independent of age, sex, race or societal orientation, which strives across borders for freedom of information. There you go. They sound like cool kids. <laughs> I'm sure they are. Right, this next one. Here we go. Charming Kitten. I'm going to go fake. I'm I'm going real on this one. Charming Kitten is absolutely a real hacker group name. Charming Kitten is real. Yes. Charming Kitten is an Iranian government cyber warfare group. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing in itself. Uh, described by several companies and government officials as an advanced persistent threat. The group has been well known to use phishing to impersonate company websites as well as fake accounts and fake DNS domains to fish users' passwords. So not very charming is the answer there. So the thing that, that flipped this for me was realizing that we had international names in here as well. And so you have to sort of think about what this would sound like in its original language or, or in a different language. And like, so do you know what, Matt, can you tell us what Charming Kitten is in Persian? I, I mean... I, no, I can't. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's fair, but you know, it's. Can you rule? No, no. Come on, please. I don't speak Persian. 
So you just assume that in Persian, it sounds terrifying. Yes. And that's why. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay, I'm yeah. going to reprogram the computer at this point. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Sarah, put that in your algorithm. See if it helps you going forward. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my algorithm. <laughs> I know you didn't listen to the last episode, but I feel like he's baiting us into making funny voices again. I feel like that's what's going on. Did you do funny voices? Of course we did. <laughs> wow. Okay, from what I can understand, Charming Kitten does not have a Persian name. There goes the theory. <laughs> the things I Google. Right. Okay, next one. Uh, last one. And the tiebreaker, perhaps. Cash Genesis. <sighs> Real, so real. Oh, see, I'm gonna go fake. Oh man, Rue's gonna win this. Yeah. Mm, wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. I feel like these could be rap groups as well. I was gonna say, does Razzlecon? Do they represent Razzlecon? <laughs> Would you call them the Crocodile of Wall Street? If Razzlecon came out with an album called Cash Genesis, I wouldn't blink twice. Not even a little bit. But the answer is Cash Genesis is fake. What? I win. So well done to Sarah. I may- <laughs> I was waiting for you to say congratulations, Sarah. You just, like, floated it out there. Uh, <sighs> uh, right. Okay. I think we're all good. I think we're done. I'm so glad you're all back. Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's good to be back. With two minutes to spare. Yeah, two minutes to spare. Good. I got a, I got a minute to go. Catch up on some DMs. <laughs> Catch up on some DMs. Yeah, exactly. All right. Love you both. This was fun. Love you both. Love you both. Bye-bye. Bye. Stage note, we didn't have time for this segment last episode, so let's re-record it. Okay. Wait, what? Oh. What what is this? It's a it's a segment called Did You Know? Oh, this is this is that new n- new segment. Okay. All right, great. If you guys pre-read this, uh, if you pre-read this, you would have seen this already. I feel so bad for Anna right now. She's like, I posted this several days ago. <laughs> uh, Sarah, I I have never <laughs> I know. I have never pre-read these, and I'm confident in saying I never will. That's where the magic is. (laughs) I I rock up, I roll out of bed, I turn on my microphone, and I whatever happens on screen is is what happens. That's it. Just listen. Sometimes someone has to knock on my trailer door and get me out. Nice. Makeup. I do feel a small bit of shame. I, w- I won't lie. Like, I- I've-, I've always felt a little bit of shame, especially when you showed up. You're like, I do the pre-read. Damn it. I don't do that. But, like, I'm not going to let myself feel ashamed anymore. <laughs> this is just who I am. <laughs> Did you know that I didn't do the pre-read this week? <laughs> so I'm just learning this as we go. <laughs> oh, oh, that's oh, good. Oh, that's the best. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good.